Welcome. Great to see you, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Left Porch Podcast. This is just a little message before you start listening to this. This was actually meant to be only one episode the beautiful people at Rock Music City in Nashville, Tennessee. We got the chance to meet them, let's say virtually, after we've actually stumbled upon an article published by Labor Notes, which is actually going to be featured in the description of this podcast. We decided to set a time to talk and Brenda Page and I, Stock, who they're going to refer to me as Radu, which is my first name, my first Romanian name, but I don't really use it in the United States too much, to be honest. We've decided that one episode is not enough. So this is actually part one of an ongoing conversation. At the moment, as I'm actually recording this little intermission, we're planning to have a part three and part four, in which we're going to address sexism, racism, and many other topics that are happening in the service industry. Thank you so much. Please bear with us if there are some technical difficulties. This is something new for all of us at Bowling Labor Alliance that we're doing this podcast. We are learning on the go, but we promise that we're actually going to get better with time. Remember, if you want to support our work, please review us, share us your friends, and listen to us collectively. Solidarity forever. Have a good time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, depending on the time zone in which you're currently located. And welcome to a beautiful new day and a beautiful new episode of Left Porch. We finally have a name for our podcast that was decided by my beautiful friend Micah and I on a, on a beautiful day. It actually took uh, quite some time to come up with this name, but he was very he was very eager to start with like the idea of a porch since he sat and spent a lot of time on porches lately <laughs> and left since our political views somehow align with this direction as well. I'm your host, uh, Radu Stokitsa, but people know me as Stock, a student at Bowdoin College. And today we have two very inspirational people with us from a bit far away, I would say. We are located in Maine when we actually where our actions are taking place usually is in Maine, Brunswick, Maine, but we have two people coming from Nashville. Am I right? Are you both coming from Nashville right now to talk to us? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And would you like to introduce yourself, Brenda and Paige? Brenda, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, I'm Brenda Waybrandt, and um, I've been in Nashville for eight years. I've been in the service industry for 15 um, with every position from a server bartender um, to a night manager. And then I ended up working in a corporate office. um, And I was just so frustrated with the lack of concern that everybody in the corporate office had for how their decisions played out on the working people in their restaurants. Um, and so in the pandemic, um, a group of people got together and we started restaurant opportunity center music city to kind of address some of the issues that working people in restaurants face in a general basis, as well as the, the added concern from the pandemic. Whoa. So you guys have been doing a lot of work since the pandemic has started. I can, I can hear. Yeah, that's that's we started in April. Well, well, so a couple of months, like six months already. But if I may, if I may ask you, Paige, are you part of the same group? Are you part of ROC? Do I get it right? Rock yeah. or ROC? How do you? Either okay. one works. Um, Either yeah. one works. Uh, I'm Paige McKay. I've been in Nashville for um, I guess three years now, and I've been serving in the service industry for eight years, from server to bartender. Um, 
I've never moved up on it because it, for me, it was a way to work through college. And then after college, when our economy was in dredges and we, we had nowhere to go to continue working and to pursue things um, like film, which is my degree. Um, but through that, I got to see a lot of the injustices of our industry and how people, as Brenda said, how people were treated by the owners, by the managers, the just the the lack of care, the lack of empathy, the lack of humanity and the focus on money. And that really always stuck with me. And uh, I also got to see how how hard it is to organize restaurants near impossible because the mm. turnover rates are often so high that people have a, well, I'm just going to be gone in a month mentality. If I don't like it, I'll go somewhere else. And uh, when managers keep mm. you under that, you never get up. Um, so it was hard to organize. I actually got involved with ROC because I was a part of a lawsuit at the last place I worked where I was an ax throwing coach with one of our other members who was a server there. And we um, brought forth a lawsuit against the owners to um, get reprimands of lost wages and just some other really bad stuff going on. And we've since um, done really well with that. And hopefully we'll hear soon how that came out. But um, even through that, it was so hard to organize the, the restaurant to potentially get a huge check at the end of it when they could all see what was going on in front of them. And uh, after we got done with that place and we were all furloughed, the guy who had started the lawsuit um, bugged me for like a month to join ROC. And I mm -hmm. made a lot of excuses and then I finally did. And uh, well, here we are. <laughs> Well, that that reminds me of a conversation Brenda and I had last week because we've been planning to make this podcast for maybe one week or two weeks at this time. And she told me that the work of an organizer is pressuring people and sending <laughs> reminders and on and on. Oh, and this is what I do every day when I see that time block in my day that says organizing work or board and labor <laughs> lines work. I know that I might send an email. I must send an email the fifth time, the sixth time or remind someone about something. But I guess it's I guess it's good because at the end of the day we get the people, and we are working to towards the cause together. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely hard work, and I think yeah, that's perfect. Just it's bothering people. It's it's being that like <laughs> that poking finger. Exactly. Just like that's a them, great way to hey, describe must, that page. <laughs> <laughs> you must come to this meeting, you know, <laughs> and remind them five me? times. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true but actually i would like to i would like to discuss a little bit with you how was it working in the service industry maybe even a personal story if you guys would like since i think it's so different from back home what we do on on this podcast we sometimes go back to romania my home country as well and service industry here is way different we don't have the notion of a tipped wage tips do exist though but there is no such thing that you will get paid below the minimum wage and there is an assumption that people based on their behavior and social norms will actually give you some more money. We start usually at the wage that is close to median, hopefully, hopefully the median wage of Romania at the time. And then and then it's very gendered actually. Uh if if you are if you're a lady, you might get a higher tip. If you're a man, you might be treated in a certain way. It, it, there are a lot of components at play. But I would love to tell you, actually, if you can tell me some stories about it and how did you find working in it? Did you enjoy it or was it just a way to pay the bills and leave? Or... I think for me, I really enjoyed serving when I started. Mm -hmm. um, and I, like I said, I started 15 years ago when I was in college. I was a theater major. Um, so I had class all day long. I had rehearsal at night. And then I worked third shift at a restaurant to serve um, when, yeah. <laughs> 
um, because I had to pay for my own college. So, um, I really did enjoy it for a really long time. And then I, I found myself stuck in Kentucky, um, and I couldn't make ends meet. And so I had an opportunity to move to Nashville and serving and the service industry goes anywhere, really. Like Mm -hmm. you can translate those skills to any other job, just like Paige said. So that's why it's so hard to organize because if you don't like one place, you can go on to another really easily. Um, and I started serving at this place called Dick's last resort where you can be yourself and you kind of make fun of people. Um, it's a, it's a totally different restaurant concept. Um, and essentially like your servers are there to kind of make fun of you and, and, and to throw, throw any restaurant experience out the window that you've already had. Um, and for me, I always looked at it as a way to, to educate people about how the service industry really works, right? Like people would be like, can I have my third side of ranch? And I'm like, you know what? You could have asked me for extra the first time. I am only one human being and I have 50 <laughs> other people that I'm taking care of right now. So you can wait a minute. Um, wait, so you're allowed to actually say this? Yes. And I think <laughs> oh that's God. what kept it's my amazing. enjoyment in the industry up is that, that I could kind of have fun with it and play with it. And I could yeah. be a human being because the problem, the problem that we face as servers and bartenders is that people don't look at you like you're a human. They look at you like you were only there to please them Mm -hmm. for the two hours that they're there, no matter how many other people that you're taking care of. Um, and so it, it, it was so fun for so long. And then it just, you know, you hit that burnout point where you're just tired of doing the job because you're tired of being belittled and treated as less than like Mm -hmm. I, um, I worked that corporate job for a while and I got let go last fall and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, work-wise. So I went back to restaurants because it's, it's a fallback, right? It's easy to get in. It's mm-hmm. decent money when you're there, um, depending on your job, because some jobs are not decent money. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's amazing how many people look down at me and were really snotty. And then the moment that I was like, oh, I worked in a corporate job and now I don't. And I'm really enjoying not being tied to my email 24 hours a day for people. Like I, <laughs> I, I suddenly have this freedom of choice over my time when I'm not at work at a restaurant, I am not at work yeah. versus mm-hmm. when you're not at work at a corporate job, you're still answering emails. Um, That's so true. Mm-hmm. and so, you know, people all of a sudden were like, Oh, she's choosing to do this job. Cool. We can talk to her like a human being, but, but why, why that one tiny switch? You know what I mean? Like, why don't you just respect people as a human being? Because they are here on this earth right now. That's so true. That's so true. I, I encountered that the first time. I've never worked, actually. I mean, I was an expediter and a student manager at my own college uh, in my first year and maybe the second year. But it's a very different experience. It's, it doesn't include this. We get a paid, we get a full wage paid and everything. But I remember when I when I entered a restaurant in the U.S. for the first time, and maybe the second and third, I was amazed by how those waiters and waitresses were trying to impress me. And I remember telling them at the point, I was like, you know, slow down, like <laughs> relax a little bit. You don't necessarily have to perform anything for me. And then I actually understood that this is part of their job and expectations, this performance that they need to put on because maybe I go in there and I don't have expectations, you know, and even if I find one less fry than it was supposed to be, it's okay, you know, it's life. But maybe some people are actually getting a bit more tense about this and they really want the perfect, the perfectly matching experience. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Do yeah, yeah. You are in the minority there. They definitely do want that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
guests well, will regularly I'm, I'm, threaten your tips. Um, yeah, it's thing. actually this. This was one aspect which I always found interesting, and that I tell people is the amount of choices you have in the United States when you go to a restaurant and. Uh, for example, you know, you, you get like the basic dish. I don't know. You get the hamburger and fries on the side. But people would like, I don't know, they would say, but one more slice of lettuce or something, change the bun with something else. And it all gets so complicated. And that was never the case for me. And when the waitress <laughs> asked me that, I was like, man, like hamburger, full stop, <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> but I didn't understand at that moment. But then I actually got it that people are very picky about what they want. And if they don't get that thing, you know, they might start a little fight or <laughs> they might make your day hell. Or did you guys have some of those experiences with people being very picky in the service industry or? Um, absolutely. I mean, my, mm -hmm. cause my journey kind of started very similarly to Brenda. I always give her a hard time because mm -hmm. I started as a film major. Um, and that's why I started college. So I started on the other side of the camera from Brenda. So I mm -hmm. always say that that's why she likes serving because she already liked <laughs> performing. Cause I actually, I started in college too. To, I would go to class all day, um, you know, like class all day I would do, we'd be making shorts all night and then I would work, you know, full time at a restaurant. Um, oh but the God. difference is, is I hate serving because I am not an extrovert. Um, and I just, I honestly don't like it at all. Um, but it was a great way. I made way more money. I worked at a pet store first and I just couldn't mm -hmm. make enough money. Um, mm -hmm. so I, started working at restaurants because it was the only way to have flexible hours and to make enough money to, um, pay my bills through college and then afterwards as well. But, um, no, I have some terrible stories. I worked at a Cracker Barrel. So my life was very hard. What is this? A Cracker um, Barrel? A chain restaurant in, in Alabama where they okay. serve Southern home cooking. And it's not mm -hmm. a very expensive place, which is fine, but it draws a very specific crowd that, um, doesn't like to tip um, mm. and it's it's rough um you should you should visit one next time you're in the city. i don't know if they have them in maine i'm sure they do um I, I would love to i've never been to the south but i would love to but this aspect you just mentioned that um they don't tip would was this like like you were you receiving a tipped wage at the time yeah so you know in in america we make 213 an hour typically just that's that's what you're forced to pay servers and that's it and it's rare that anyone goes above that. Um, yeah, it's insane. So like, so when you get a paycheck, right, and they take your taxes out, that's your check. You don't get a paycheck. You only make money off of tips. And then once you're tipping out, which is another concept that a lot of people in the industry don't understand, which is mm -hmm. um, you give a percentage of your tips to your busboy, to your barback, to your host, to sometimes to like um, hourlies, managers. It just depends on where you're at. A lot of that is not legal, um, but those are things that you're forced to do. So you might give like, end up giving 10% of your tips by the end of the night. I had a place where about 40% of my tips were given up one time. Whoa. Yeah. I had a place where 30, 30% was given out on a, on a nightly basis. And so you're Whoa. making this money and you're, you're, you're having to perform for these people who are already predispositioned to think that you're just basically, um, not, not as human as them. And then you are just giving that away to people who are already making like, which these people, they have it awful as well because their wages are often subsidized by the tips. So they won't pay a busboy the right, like they won't pay them minimum wage. They'll pay them 
$6 an hour, and then the percentage of tip out after that gets them up to minimum wage. Um, but yeah, that's I have, like a very vicious cycle to me, to be honest. It is it a very seems vicious like cycle. <laughs> there is a lot of there is a lot on the shoulders of the of the servers because if they do not perform well, I mean the the experience is not there. You might not get a tip, and no one else in the restaurant might get a tip at the end of the day. Oh yeah, it's um, it is it's a lot of pressure, I think, and sometimes like you just get saddled with the wrong customer. Truthfully, um, like I've had customers come in that were just ready to have a bad day. They just want to yell at somebody and you're going to be, you can't yell back. You know, you're the one that can't fight back. So they come to you and I don't do well with that. Brenda can attest um, to being (laughs) trapped like that. So Dick's would have been great for me, but um, the things Brenda said at Dick's, I just said anyway, I would just get in trouble. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I had one job that was bartending at a baseball field that I really enjoy um, Mm -hmm. because it was the only place my managers would back me up. And that's another huge issue is managers have this, the customer is always right mentality. And that's another Mm. thing we're kind of working to like dismantle, I feel like in ROC, because Mm. you should be backing your staff. Um, I had instances, yeah, where I would say, well, they told me this and they never said it. And they'll be like, well, I, you know, like the no lettuce, they'll make a huge scene. And I'll be like, well, they never said it. And they'll be like, oh, I said it. And my manager will be like, okay, well, you know, like now that table's getting taken away from you and you can't make money off of it. Or now like, you know, they won't schedule me on that night the next week. I think think another really good example of that is like cutting people off who've had too much to drink. Like I've had managers that I'm looking, I'm like, okay, so this person has had too much to drink. They don't need any more. And then I've had managers come behind me and give them a beverage. And, and so we have what's called dram shop laws in the United States, which means that if, if I serve Paige too much to drink and Paige goes out and gets into an accident um, and injures or kills somebody, that is also on the establishment and on the server or bartender that served them. So I could lose my, my ability to ser- serve alcohol and be fired from my job if somebody um, gets too drunk that I've served and gets into an accident and hurts somebody. And so like, if your manager doesn't follow you and back you up on that and then serve somebody like you could get in and that could have legal consequences for the rest of your life. Well, there is so much responsibility in our shoulders. I, I don't think I'll look at the server the same way after this conversation today, because I, I didn't know about this. This is very fascinating. And I didn't know about the wage that, uh, the wage, the tip that gets like deducted from your, uh, from your overall tip. But this is all very fascinating. I'm very curious uh, to hear a little bit more about the work you guys are doing with ROC or Rock Music City, since it seems to me that you're not only trying to improve the the living conditions, but you're also trying to challenge some of these established social norms, such as the idea of the customer always being right, which I have no clue where it's coming from, to be honest. It's an outrageous thing, because they are not always right, and we must remember that, that. You know, there are people at the end of the line that serve them and they sometimes might know what's better for the customer. Like in this case with the drinking, it has happened so many times in Romania as well that people get overly drunk, you know, and someone must tell them like, hey, you must stop. It's not because, okay, maybe you really want to destroy your own body. 
do that. But you're going to endanger the entire society because at the end of the night, you might hop into a car and think that I'm a driver. I know how to drive. No one tells me that I cannot drive. And just this pride, you know, which is like, I, I don't even know where to take it from. It's just like unbelievable how proud some people are. And you injure someone, basically. And yeah, the customer was right. He had this fun, but then he killed someone, basically. And it's very sad. But sorry, I think I think where I was going on a bit of a rant about this. But please <laughs> tell me about the <laughs> tell me about the work you guys are doing it with rock with rock, rock music city because it sounds very fascinating. Right, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, we have um, we've we've done a lot in our short six months. We've had two organizing campaigns at local restaurants because of workers who were. Um, fired without cause. And so we were able to bring those restaurants back. Um, and, and by we, I mean, like we assisted the workers in those restaurants. So it's all the workers in those restaurants doing the work. We're just kind of giving them the information that they need and helping them organize their own workplace. Um, so, uh, one of them was at Puckett's and Leaper's Fork, which is South of here, maybe a half an hour page. Sounds right. Something like that. Um, and we were going to picket their restaurant to get this employer brought back or employee brought back. Um, and we didn't have to picket the restaurant. Like the owner heard about it and he was like, no, please don't picket our restaurant. And then, um, sat down and negotiated and brought that employer employee back and, um, got some safety precautions in place from COVID. And then, um, the other one was at Von Elrod's here in Nashville. And we had it, we, they had an employee that was let go, um, because they tried to, up his working hours. I think he was only working two days a week and they put him on the schedule for more than that without conferring with him first. And his partner, um, has, has a chronic condition that makes her more susceptible to COVID, right? So you're putting a, you're endangering not only the, the worker, but the worker's family. And so, Whoa. um, we got this person hired back, um, their employees got this person hired back and then a round table discussion, sit down with their owner to talk about working conditions and safety precautions, which was really cool. Um, and then we're working on some legislative pieces. We're, we're partnering with, um, a couple, a lot of local, um, sorry, my brain just like cut out there. <laughs> it's, completely. A, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it happens with all of us. Don't worry. We decided it was time to take a little break and to just remind all of you that are actually listening right now that this podcast is produced by a bunch of people that are members of the Bono Labor Alliance and is made in partnership with our friends at Rock Music City in Nashville, Tennessee. Brenda and Paige are a fantastic duo and I'm saying this as I'm editing the podcast and as I've had numerous conversations with them, the passion they put in the work, the dedication they give to the organization and the people around them and the sense of familiarity familiarity i'm sorry sometimes my english is a bit crooked since i'm romanian is so intense that i always i'm looking forward to the end of the week to talk with them please remember that if you like this podcast share with your friends share the news about rock music city with your friends as well because they need all the support they can get and please don't forget to rate and review us and once again share it with your friends and also your parents please make them listen to this while they're driving to hannaford 
this is like a New England type of uh, supermarket. Maybe you have a different in the part of the world in which you're listening and make them listen to this and ask them what they think. If they think it's trash, make them actually write us an email. If they think it's good, make them share it with a friend. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. of local um, coalitions and other nonprofit groups on some legislation pieces, um, DoorDash and Grubhub, like those charge mm. up to 30% delivery fees. And so we're trying to get it passed where we can cap it only at 10% because that hurts small businesses, right? Like they have to charge more. And then, you know, the, the DoorDash and Grubhub and, and all of those, like their delivery drivers aren't getting paid adequately. Um, it's It's all just, you know, another piece of the gig economy where it is just taking advantage of workers. So we're trying really hard to get some of that passed, but we have in Tennessee what's called preemption laws, Mm -hmm. um, which means that if we don't have a law on the books that says, yes, you can legislate this area, for example, the delivery companies, we can't pass laws to legislate that. That has to come from our state first. So Tennessee is supposed to be pro-business, pro-small business and all of that. But we're really curious to see what happens when our representatives have to choose between small business, small local business and big tech. Um, and so we're, we're trying to figure that out as we go on this aspect. What else well, you got to add, Paige? Oh, sorry. I, think you covered can, it all. I, I just want I just want to say something from that. That's such a nice comment you dropped at the end. Uh, the state choosing between big tech and small business, because that has been actually a huge debate. I'm not sure we, we, if we DoorDash, but with Uber, because Uber keeps considering itself a tech company. And I would personally make the case it's a service company and a taxi company. But they say that, oh, because we don't have any employees in the sector, we're still a tech company. Yet they indirectly affect the the business basically of the people, of the local people. And in the end, they'll invoke the same argument. It's a free market. You can come up with ideas, you can create, but you cannot. If you have those monopolies that take, what, 30% of your delivery fee or even more, I do not know. How are you to even, not even like go into the market and, and like do something huge. Like how can you even like enter the market for a bit and survive even? I think I think that's just so impossible with those tech monopolies that are just taking place. Mm-hmm. But sorry, that, that was just a little comment from me. I was very fascinated about this scandal lately. But Paige, can you tell us a little bit, a bit uh, as well about ROC? I think Brenda really covered it all. Um, I mean, yeah. one of our biggest concerns, of course, is is probably, I would say, a pillar of what we're doing, um, which is, is getting us to a living wage and um, mm-hmm. not relying completely on tips. Um, and I would say that's probably like the thing I've been able to hyper-focus on a lot, Um just with us working with Living Wage and One Fair Wage and a couple other organizations in um, America overall. I'm not sure they're like regional. I think they're just everywhere. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, it's a very, very, very long process because unless um, the government is going to pass, like like Brenda was talking about, unless we can get it at a state level where they're required to pay a certain amount, restaurants aren't going to just do that because then they're going to lose profit margin to other mm-hmm. restaurants. So it's got to be, it's a real all or nothing thing. Um, so that one's just going to take time, but I'm really excited about um, what we're doing right now with the, uh, with the Uber Eats and Postmates and DoorDash. Mm. 
Well, congratulations on that campaign. I think I think that's necessary, as I said previously with the tech. But I'm also very curious to hear about uh, is there an? I mean, maybe this is just a personal question to you. But do you think there is a need for a living wage in the service industry, or should we still keep going with the tipped wage model that we've been having for some time? Personally, I I feel like um, I would like to see it go to a living wage and, and not and go away from the tips model. Um, I, I know Brenda does as well, but working in so many places, you see the profit margin they have. There's, it's like we were talking about before the podcast, we were all chatting about how universities are like a dragon sitting on top of a mountain of coins. And that's often how restaurant owners are too. Um, they make it, they can make a slim prod or, um, profit margin, but a lot of times, I mean, if a drink costs $6, you know, it really costs like two dollars to make at best a lot of the time and and it's just um I used to have a friend who was the bar manager at a place I worked and they would tell me very often like I know how much this drink costs to make like Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about like a spill of it because I know it costs a dollar fifty for me to make but I'm charging ten dollars eleven dollars twelve dollars for it Um, those are national prices and uh (laughs) but uh yeah I definitely would love to see us either go away from the tip tip system completely eventually um or at least bring up our minimum wage to such a point and then just let the tips be tips and not just be the whole bulk of what we're getting but Brenda do you have something yeah I'd actually just um so one really interesting thing is is just the absolute inequity in the service industry right now like if you look at our back of house people that are making you know, minimum wage, which is seven twenty-five an hour here in Nashville, Tennessee, or even if they're making ten, eleven, twelve dollars an hour, um, oftentimes your front of house people will be making twice what they're making, twice what your back of house people are making in in whichever situation they're in. And so, if if you look at a restaurant's profit model, um, everything that the restaurant pays out, they try to make it as low as possible, and that's going to include your back of house people, your people that they're paying hourly on that aspect. And if you look at the front of house server tipped model, right, you, you raise prices on your food and your drink every year to accommodate for inflation. And, and most of the time you're expected to tip 20% of the final bill, right? Like that's a, that's, we've all decided that that's a good tip amount is 20%. And mm-hmm. so if that goes up every year, your servers and your bartenders are making more every year versus your back of house people who might get a quarter or a 50 cent an hour raise that that doesn't compare. So your front of house people are continuously making more every year and your back of house people like they're getting raises, Mm -hmm. but are they equal to what your front of house people are getting raises at? And I hear all of my server and bartender friends saying, but we like the money that we make. And I totally get it. Like I like the money that I make too, but I also really care about my friends in the back of the house and the quality of life that they have when they go home. And I've seen so many people so many working houseless people working in downtown Nashville, people who are still working and, and working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and can't afford to get into a place because in, in the U.S. you have to have like your first month's rent, your last month's rent and a security deposit to get into a, a place. And so that's often three times the amount of rent here and our average rent is $1,200. So you're expecting somebody to save up $2,400 to move into a place. Like, how do you, how do you do that and effectively have that stability to move forward when you're making $12 an hour? Whoa. 
that's really outrageous. But it's also very interesting the comment you've just dropped previously that uh, how do you call them? Front of the people, front of the house people, and front back of house, of the house? yeah. Front so of front house. of house front would of be house. like your servers, bartenders, um, bussers, um, mm-hmm. essay folks, which would like help delivering food, food runners, and all of that stuff. And then your back of the house people are like your kitchen workers, your prep people. Um, your grill cooks, any of any of those people that typically have like an hourly rate and that's what they get paid is their hourly rate. And your front of house Whoa. people are people that that make a tipped wage in some aspect. Well, well, so actually on the long term, you said that it's advantages for you if you keep the tipped wage and if the price is increased by inflation. But overall, for the entire workforce of the restaurant, it will never be because their wages might stay constant. Well, this this is actually an amazing comment, and I take what you page also said with the with the living wage. I think that could be I, f- I think that could be lovely. And I'm curious how how it will change the performance aspect of it. Do you think people are worried that the moment you install a living wage, waitresses and waiters are no longer gonna be performing the duty that people expect them to do, or things will actually get better? I think it's a control thing a lot of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the issue really just comes with the owners not wanting to pay it. Um, The owners owners basically get free labor out of servers and and bartenders. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you you explain a bit more of this if you want? Yeah, of course. Um, Because they're only paying $213, they might have you on for six hours at $213 an hour. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are are just your taxes. That's it. Um, Not even most of the time. Yeah. And so they're not oh, wow. really paying you much of – they're paying you, uh, you know, like a, a really a nothing wage. So they're basically getting free labor for their servers. And as soon as that changes where we have to have a living wage and then tips, their um, profit is going to go down. And if mm. they're, I mean, like restaurant owners in, in America are very much – I mean, I would say maybe love money the most if possible. Um, <laughs> so it's – Yeah. Well, restaurants operate on a typically low profit margin. So restaurants make maybe five to 8% profit. Um, and, and it's so like, it's such a low aspect. Like if you think about raising wages for anybody, it doesn't work in the system that we have. So Mm -hmm. how do we create a new system Mm -hmm. that works for everybody in the restaurant industry? And, and we just haven't hit that, that point yet. I think, um, coronavirus is going to force us to change the way that we look at restaurants and dining out because it is being proven more and more that dining out is not a safe thing to do when you have a virus that travels by air particles when you're sitting Mm -hmm. there for two hours eating dinner without a mask on drinking talking to people and in an indoor system where there's poor ventilation um and so you know, it doesn't benefit the owner to upgrade their HVAC system, their ventilation system, because it's so expensive to do that. So how do we, how do we protect ourselves going forward in the fall and in the winter when it's colder and people are going to want to sit in one place longer? Well, well, those are a lot of great questions, honestly. Um, I, I think you basically just took them from me because I was about to ask you this about COVID and how it has impacted the service industry. But there is this thing that I'm actually, if you could, if you could describe a bit more, like uh, you said that restaurants usually operate on a very low profit margin. Could you tell us a bit more about that and why is that so? Like people don't necessarily own the place and they have to pay rent and rent is too high or taxes are too high or what's really happening there? Yeah, I, 
I am not a restaurant owner, admittedly. And so I don't have all of the insight on, on that aspect. Um, but just like, yeah, I don't know why. I just know that that's, that's the historic <laughs> norm on that aspect. And I'm, I'm sorry to admit that maybe I can, um, do a little Googling and, and drop you some info to add into the podcast description. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We can always do part two, as we said previously. But I'm I'm also very curious if Paige, I'm very uh, about what you can say about um, about the living wage and how do you think it will actually impact the performance? Because usually people are very afraid that the moment they pay a bit more to someone, they will stop uh, producing that same quality. And, you know, I've heard I've heard this I've heard this argument so many times. Like I keep my people on a low wage or a medium wage just because if I give them too much, they'll become too comfortable and they won't they won't perform. And I personally think that's bullshit. I I just think that's a way of of telling of telling yourself that I am not going to appreciate my workers today, but I will make it in a way that sounds you know cool and will sound competitive and it can be put in Forbes magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, the idea of keeping someone on a low wage so that they don't get too comfortable is is yeah bullshit um, to say the least. But <laughs> like you were talking, we talked about a little bit. Um, Often servers, I think, are I think we're forced to be a little bit annoying. Honestly, um, I know I'm forced to be a little bit annoying because um, you know your 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 managers hold it over your head, right? They're like, take another lap, take another lap, go check on people, and it's like, I just did. I know that they're okay, and they're like, well, your tips are going to go down. They're like, I won't give you that good section next time, or like those kinds of things. So I think paying us a normal wage would make it so. Um, Maybe we're not overconfident, but maybe we can pay our rent and come in and not just be thinking about that. Or I'm not just, mm-hmm. I'm not just working to pay my rent. I'm working because I enjoy it. Maybe you'll get service that actually want to be there. Very um, true. Very true. You Have you ever? Me, sorry, go, go ahead. No, no. Mm. I was just, if I don't get tables for an hour, mm. all I'm going to do is complain the whole time about mm. still being there, you know, and, and that's not good for anybody. So I would do more, you know, with side work and closing work um, that they make you do after all, after all your um, people are gone, you stay for hours sometimes afterwards and do all this extra cleaning and all this extra work for the restaurant. And um, yeah, and, and you're still getting paid two thirteen an hour for that. And I would happily do that if I was not making two thirteen an hour. Hmm. Hmm. That's a very good comment, but I'm also very curious to hear a bit more about, let's say, the anxiety at work. Uh, when you're working on a tipped wage, do you think a lot about, I don't know, having to pay rent this month or something like this, or how does it work? Oh, I would say that's like your main thought. Um, I have heard every, probably I would say every server and bartender I've ever worked with who paid their own rent. I have heard from more than once from, I've got to make this much X amount of money today, or I'm not going to make rent tomorrow. Whoa. And I know I I've had, that. um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off on there. Okay. Um, I've had a lot of those days and I've seen a lot of people in, in, in my 15 years working in the industry who will work themselves more than 40 hours a week because, you know, you might make a hundred, $125 a shift. But like, if you think your rent is, $1,200, you know what I mean? Like, and it, it's, it's, you, you have to just keep going and keep working at it, right? Like you might make $150 and then you have to tip out 
25, $30 of that. So you really walk out with $120. Um, and then it, it is to go back to your anxiety question. I don't think that I know, I think I can count on my hands, the number of people that I've worked with who've been sober. Whoa. <laughs> in 15 years. So you years. think people are using vices to cope, to, how do you say it, to have a coping mechanism? Like people rely on yeah. vices. You yeah. get belittled for eight hours a, a day on your shift, belittled, and you're just running. If you're if you're in a busy shift, you're just running. Like you don't even get a chance to sit down and eat. Tipped workers don't have to take a break. And, and when I have a Seriously. section full of people... Tipped workers don't have to take a break. I've worked 16 hours before without taking a break. Same. What, wait, 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 wait. I, I still have to process this. I'm, yeah. I'm so sorry, so, but sometimes sometimes I get those moments when I hear things about the U.S. I had no clue about it and I just say like, what? <laughs> in the, yeah, you, well, in you the U.S., you know, if you work eight hours, um, you're supposed to have like a 30-minute break, I think it is. And then if you work anything else, it's an hour break. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're tips, that doesn't apply to you anymore because they're it's just – the implications of that are really heavy, but anyway, I won't get into them, but, um, yeah. So I've worked as Brenda said, 16, 17 hours, three days in a row and never had a break. You know, you go home for a couple hours and come back because you're working doubles because you have to make that money. You have to make rent. You have to pay for that medical bill that is to come and been overdue for a month. Like you have to get it done. So you just keep going, keep going. Yeah. And on that medical bill, most restaurants don't offer health insurance. What? And if they do, it's at a very, 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 very high rate. Okay. I have another question. What if you have a child? Are they going to offer parental leave or? No, (laughs) no, no, no child care. I babysat for a lot of pregnant women. Oh, sorry. No, no. I've, I've babysat for a lot of people so that they could like take a shift they needed. And I've worked with so many pregnant women who have stayed working until they absolutely can't work. And then they come back so soon after because they have to, because they don't have any option to, to make money afterwards. And, you know, it's, it's giving birth in the U S is almost like buying a car. It is that expensive yeah. or a house but depending I, on where you're at. Yeah, so you have, what she's talking about um, is government is, supplements. They just don't have the time. They don't have the, the resources to continue frozen. to stay I off. We, we have nothing. Um, we're giving given no benefits in that way, I would say. But the anxiety at work with talking about, because I'm not a mom, so I, I can't speak to mm-hmm. it. But I've seen, mm-hmm. I've seen mothers be there. But, yeah, the anxiety with just – Am I going to pay my rent? Am I going to get that last shift? Am I going to be able to pick up a happens. shift? I've had that anxiety where it's like, great. Um, I'm desperately trying to get someone to give up a shift on a Saturday. And I still hear both of I've you. called managers like, hey, I have to work today. Please find a section connected. for me. Okay. Yeah, there we go. And uh, it's, you know, it's stressful. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would no, but- say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just curious. I would love if you if you could go a bit uh, go a bit into more detail about the stress aspect because brand, which I found uh, a, a bit a bit I do not know outrageous if I can say it like this, but the fact that people rely so much on vices such as alcohol. Uh, did you encounter that? Was it like a norm while working in the service industry? Absolutely. There's like a kind of a joke, like the beer and the shot joke in um, America with servers and bartenders, because you that's what you do when you get off work at 1 a.m. You go to the only three bars left open and uh, 
you all get drunk because like Brenda was talking about, we've been, when you're screamed at all day for sometimes 12, 13 hours, um, by complete strangers for things completely out of your control a lot of the time, what are you going to do? You have to, you have to get that out. And it's, it's incredibly stressful. Um, I've been out now for, um, since March I've been furloughed and I going back is going to be absolutely horrific for me. Um, trying to like deal with that stress because I have anxiety issues already and many, um, servers do, but I, yeah, between a stress of, um, a stress of being screamed at, which is, it's just, it's awful for your mental health, being belittled, being treated like you're less than human. Um, and then your managers often are uh, just going to be mad at you for whatever the customer is mad at you. And, and maybe in a normal day I've had, you know, a, um, something will happen with the customer where they're mad about how a steak is cooked. And I bring it back to the kitchen and I'm like, they don't like it. And the kitchen yells at me. And while the table's already yelling at me <laughs> and then I'm trying to fix it. And then they don't want to do it. So they're screaming at me and I'm like, you got to do it. Cause I, I have no control. And the management's like, well, fix it. Why is everyone mad at you? Fix whatever. It's your fault. Like fix it, fix it, fix it. And you're like, I'm just trying oh. to salvage a tip. Um, so that's really a big part of it. Um, I would say I personal story real quick. Um, I had a time where uh, I was working at a, at a Mexican restaurant. Uh, I mean, here they are very, 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 um, whitewashed Mexican restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a cook not want, I asked him three times like, Hey, did you make the dessert? Did you make the dessert? Did you make the dessert? And they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, I did. Leave me alone. Whoa. And then when it came to it and I was like, it's been like 20 minutes. Is it done? They were like, Oh, I forgot to start it. And I was like, cool. Well, that's my tip. Like your, your tip's not going down for that. Like my money Whoa. is at risk now. And I was like mad and, and you know, it, stuff like that happens. Um, but I do think back of house in front of house, like we are a family and we have to fight for each other. Um, that's just like one of my funny stories about, uh, how it really, you, you, everything kind of falls on the server's fault. That's yeah. the only person the customer has to yell at. Jesus, that's that's so sad. Honestly, I remember uh, this was one of the things where that my parents have uh, have taught me when I was younger was the fact that you know the server, uh, you know, basically told me tolerate mistakes uh, and even don't necessarily think of them as mistakes or anything like this. You know, just think that behind the face of the server, which which I think my parents were trying to be very radical with me since I was very younger. They were trying to explain to me about performative actions, performance, and how people put on performances for their job, and how in the end, most of us will end up not liking our job and will have to perform for it. So they started from a very young age, and they always used to tell me, like, you know, you, you got 50 less fries or 25, I don't know, any, anything that can be, you know, just adjusted or solved or not even relevant for that night you know, speak nicely to them, be polite, be this, because you do not know the story behind that person. You know, it's very easy, I think, to scream at them, especially when it's, I think I think this is also very a very fascinating and a huge part dynamic, the fact that between the manager, not even the manager, between the owner of the restaurant and the customer itself, there's like a line of people, you know, and before you actually get to hit the owner, which might be the one that you should hit from the beginning if there is a huge problem, you get to hit those pawns, you know, because, that just happened to be there because that is their job. And unfortunately, this is what happens, and it's very sad, but I don't even know. You know, it's it's it gets even more sad when you hear about the fact that, as you told me, there are only three bars open. I, I don't know 
3 a.m. or something, and this is the activity that you you guys can do because I think I, I I'm was curious as well. I will ask myself this before: if I were to survive working a tipped wage, how would I do that? And I said probably smoking a pack of cigs a day. I have to be very honest. That's I do not very, know those. very, very common. Actually, the um, I would say like yeah, and and um, yeah, smoking cigarettes is is probably like the biggest vice. I don't know if it's the biggest, but I, I would think it might be. Um, but mental health is an absolute just, yeah, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's awful. Um, the fact that a normal, it's kind of like a joke within the industry of like mm-hmm. crying in the freezer. But like, that's, yeah, it's a joke that we yeah. all say, but it's totally a thing. Like everyone has done it. Like the smell of a restaurant freezer is like weirdly comforting for me because I've cried <laughs> in them so often. I- I know people who would get frustrated and then go in the freezer and like punch boxes, like fry boxes and stuff. Like I literally worked at a restaurant where they had a note up on the freezer wall that said, please do not punch fry boxes. (laughs) Um, It was that common. And then like, no, it's insane. No, it's, it's, it's laughable because it's real. Like, and, and like you guys were talking about the cigarettes, like I'm a non-smoker. And so there were so many times that I'm like, I'm going on a smoke break because smokers would get to go outside and stand outside for seven to 10 minutes and just have time where they're not performing for people, which is exhausting. That's another form of labor. It's called emotional labor. Um, And service industry has so much emotional labor that goes into their job um, that you just like, even, even back at house people like Gordon Ramsay didn't become a big deal for nothing. Like, people yell at their chefs in the back of the house constantly. And so you, you work a 12 hour shift where you're constantly being yelled at and berated and told to hurry up and that you're not good enough. Like, what does that do for your emotional well-being? Oh. Yeah. Oh, and I would say very, I probably I, have very few managers that have ever done anything opposite of that. Um, and I'm thankful for those very few managers, but I've had very, very few who've done anything opposite from maybe they're your friend for a second, but as soon as like a customer is unhappy, you are just the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And, you know, like it's, it's hard because you would expect they hired you, they would trust you, but that's not the case. And so the entire culture around the service industry needs, not even needs, absolutely has to change. It is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. Yeah. I can tell that from the outside, to be honest, it's, uh, I remember, I remember when I came, uh, I, f- I think this was a tip incident I once had because uh, I didn't know how to tip personally because it's something so different for us. You don't sh- you don't have it on a bill. I, f- I think in the U.S. you put it like the, 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 I don't know, the price of the products you paid for and then you have the tip and then you have to calculate it. And I didn't know that you have to fill both boxes. So I actually left the, I, w- I was about to get up and actually pay no tip because I had no clue how that worked. I thought that I would have to pay afterwards, go there. And I remember actually the anxiety on the person's face. And it was not it was not a huge order. We just got the, the soup of the day, which probably for two people, which probably amounted to $15. The tip would have been, what, $3, maybe $2.50 uh, if we were to go between 15 and 20%. But I just remember the anxiety on that person's face and the anxiety very, very easily turning into anger. And then I realized wow, those people really rely on those. Like if it was, if it was not a big deal, you know, then you'll be like, okay, this person did a tip. I can still make my bills at the end of the day. But you're right. Actually, there's so much emotional labor being there because I remember that lady being so nice to us throughout the day and being all of this. And then at the end to be like, wow, this, these people did not pay me. 
and we had to come back and solve the issue because it was just a, a, mis- a mismanagement and a misunderstanding. But I'm very curious, actually, guys, how would you feel? Uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to put this because I think it has been said a lot throughout this episode so far, but where would you classify emotional labor? Because for me, it seems like a form that must be paid. It's basically the same job that maybe a babysitter does, but you're in a restaurant. Yeah, we're babysitting a lot of adults. <laughs> I'm really glad that you use that terminology, babysitter. Like after working in a lot of restaurants where I see a lot of drunk people, well, <laughs> we are weird. We're babysitting adults. I treat drunk people like I treat toddlers. I'm generally kind to them. I know that they don't have their wits about them. I have held people's hand and walked them out of the you restaurant before, <laughs> away from colleagues. No, I'm very serious. I, yeah, I've yeah. had to find very lost. I, I had a lost, very sweet little drunk girl one time that could not find her bridal, her like, um, bachelorette party that I left my restaurant and got, took her phone and called her friends and found mm-hmm. them like seven or eight blocks away. Whoa. And like got her and like handed her off and was like, keep up with your people in Nashville. <laughs> keep up with your people in Nashville. Whoa. So you guys are really like, I, I don't even know at the end of the, after this conversation, how much your job is actually serving or how much actually just emotional labor. It is fully there. just emotional labor, I would say. And I, I think it does classify like a babysitter and, and, and those things. <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm saying is like, that's why it's ridiculous to me that we don't get paid for that because honestly, and managers do a lot, but they don't really have that um, aspect of like customer. They only mm. talk to the customer. They're the fix all. You know, I think management comes in to be the good guy a lot of the time, sometimes the bad guy, but often they're like, oh, you're mad at your server. Here's a free drink, you know? And, and I think Whoa. that, yeah, no, that's very normal. Um, well, so I maybe, think maybe the customers talking- need a bit of a slap sometimes, you know, <laughs> not, not a violent, like physical <laughs> one, but to be reminded <laughs> that they're not always right, you know, and they should not be, I don't know, they should not just be, how do you say that? They, sh- they should not just get a free drink when they think they that something is wrong. Yeah, yeah, entitled. Yeah. That's right, that's right. But I think definitely Even- it's, it's emotional labor and it should be paid. That's so, that's so true, guys. I would actually love to keep this conversation going a bit more about your work. And hopefully, if we have the time to synchronize next week as well, that's when we get to talk a little bit about uh, Rock City because, uh, Rock Music City, sorry, because there is so much, I think, to the service industry that we do not see. We, do, we really do not see in front, of the, in front of the counter and in front of the table. Like, we've touched on vices, I don't know, bad behavior, anxiety, mental health, which I think mental health is like, I don't know. It's probably the biggest factor. I don't like, for example, what would be the, I don't know, what's the oldest person you've seen in serving? And did they have any, any stories about it and how they resisted for so long or? Late seventies when I worked at Cracker Barrel. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. She was real sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And they resisted for so long. I think. Mm -hmm. I think mine was in the late fifties or sixties and, and yeah, it's, it's a, because the service industry often doesn't offer you benefits like 401k or retirement or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like you think about you're working for minimum wage most of the time, maybe 10, 11, $12 an hour in some aspects like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about all of the financial obligations that you have throughout your life. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have time to save some, or you don't have the ability to save money for retirement. 
And so what do you do? You just keep working. So I've worked with such sweet people who, um, like limp around throughout the restaurant because that's their only option. What? Because that's, you're still making more at a restaurant than you would make at a sit down office. What? Well, this got me a bit uh, unprepared, let's say. So you actually can make more at a restaurant with a tipped wage than you make at an office. If you're like an entry level at minimum wage, yes. Um, If you're like at an office, um, like I worked at an office, sorry, where I made 14 an hour. And that was probably a little bit less than I would make. But I usually had two serving jobs um, to make sure I made more than that. But I would say that 14 an hour is more consistently what I would be more mm-hmm. like, you know, you might make 25 an hour. You might also make $3 an hour one day. That's just how it is. But um, most jobs don't pay 14 an hour. That was for the government. That's why that rate <laughs> was fine. But uh, yeah, so if you're making minimum wage, you make a lot more serving. Whoa. There's no way to live off seven twenty-five an hour in Nashville. There is no way. I don't think there is a way anywhere. And I don't think there should be, you know, the case of living. I remember one of the main arguments some of the housekeepers at Bodin were giving. And uh, and I think the, those were just like, uh, those are just like gullible people that accepted what the employer was telling them. They were very happy to live in a trailer home because this was the only thing they were, they were actually affording. And I was like, are you sure you would not like to live in a house? And they said, yeah, but this is the only thing I can afford. I mean... You know, you can do much more for it and there you can fight for it. And there is, I mean, you might not get the results immediately, but we should not settle, you know, for what's, what's the best even for the employer. Because because I think even when we say that, you know, and the employers will sell us this this lie, you know, we don't have money to pay right now. We don't have money. You see them in two weeks, you know, coming from around the corner with this huge SUV 2020 just bought, you know, off the shelves. And, and you're like, well, how come you didn't have money to pay us? Like, well, but I had to treat myself as my business <laughs> did well this week. I would say that lawsuit that we were, we're in right now, um, I know for a fact that they have like a couple yachts and it's just, but they've been what? stealing wages for a long time. Oh yeah, no, they're, they're like millionaires each. And that's why I have no pity. But I think a lot of people, to your point and to go full circle, I think a lot of people feel very, very, very hopeless and that might be the biggest fight we have to make in ROC Music City is the mm. fight of hopelessness. Even with this lawsuit, I have talked to other acts coaches since who have said, I wish I would have signed on, but I was so scared of losing my job. I was so scared of mm. repercussions, which are illegal, but you in a, in a right to work state, we can't prove that um, because they don't have to tell us why they fire us. And um, they, Seriously, could say, they don't have to tell you why they fired you. Nope. It's called right to work and they, um, they can just fire you for anything and, and they can, they don't really have to tell you. Um, so like right now we just passed something that you officially finally in 2020 can't be fired for being gay or a lesbian or bi or anything What? just now. But the issue with having a right to work state is they could fire you for, um, they could be like, Oh, I'm firing you because you got a customer complaint, but really it's because you're gay or like, you're like, oh, are you firing me because you found out I was gay yesterday? And they're like, no, it's because, you know, like you messed up order or an order yesterday. I know Paige just sounded like she was giggling a little bit. And and I just want to clarify, like the look on the look on Radu's face when Paige said we just passed a law that you could not be fired for for your sexual orientation. Like. It, 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 it was priceless. <laughs> yes. Yes. We are at that point. We just passed a law saying yeah. that this year. And I've had friends who've been fired 
because they were gay, because they, they, their owner didn't like it. What and the I mean, heck? as members of the LGBTQ community, me and Brenda both can attest to that discrimination. I've been given worse sections by people for those what? reasons. Yes. Well, look, I, I think I think we must change the name of this podcast, you know, from a Romanian gets amazed every time someone says something about the US because <laughs> I, 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 literally, I literally have this amazement all the time. And I, I think it was in the beginning with uh, finding alcohol in drugstores. That's not a thing in Romania. Now it, it's with this, like, and I'm, I'm so curious, I have two years at least left in the US. What else am I going to find? I'm so goddamn curious about that. Oh, I hope it gets but better. You, I really, I mean, it got it got better with lots of things. Like, I really appreciate the Nashville music scene. But for example, this thing that's happening with, I don't, I don't even know where to classify because I know by, I think by federal law, it's illegal to discriminate against someone based on, what race, sexual orientation, ethnicity, and all of this. Am, am I am I right, or that's just Romania? Or no, we te- we do have um, anti discriminatory laws, but yeah. they just they didn't really. I guess they didn't apply to firing or. It was more so like a it's it's like a don't ask don't tell kind of thing, which is also a whole other thing. But I'm not even gonna go to that. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that mentality. Do we lose Brenda again? I th- I think we'll, but she's gonna reconnect. But this is very sad actually because uh, there is a limit. You know, there is a limit to which this law applies, which is the anti discrimination one. And it's very sad, you know, because I don't think it should apply to firing because someone I don't know is disappointed with your taste in music or something. That should not mean that you should get fired, especially since uh, or. Or even your sexual orientation. Okay, maybe unless you're a fascist, you know, then yeah, maybe you deserve to be because mm-hmm. you hate other people. But uh, but I don't know if you're gay. Like what the heck? What what? This is something I don't understand. Okay, maybe we can turn this into an LGBT podcast as well. I don't really understand what people think when they hear that someone is gay. You know, what? Uh, why does their perception of someone change? And why would your perception of your employee change when they are gay? I don't know because I think it's it's so it's based on such negative stereotypes that just affect uh, that just affect our communities as a whole. Not only the gay community, but it just segregates and pushes us to the sides and makes us believe only in very negative stereotypes. At the end of the day, yeah, I also think um, yes to all of that, obviously. But I think that it, it it's so we're so comfortable in America, and it, and when you hear someone is anything but straight, it just it really, really, really throws them for a loop. It it in some ways threatens them. You know, it threatens their, what they know, what they're comfortable with. For some reason, they take it as like an assault on their straightness, um, yeah. which it's not. Um, be straight. I don't really want to deal with that. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, uh, you know, and that's how they see it. And instead of just being like, oh, this person's sexuality has nothing to do with me because it doesn't. They just see it as like them being gay is a threat to me being straight. So, mm. Yeah. Actually, this reminds me, I was listening. Yeah, that's just... Uh, so, sorry, Brenda, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that's just a, uh, like a, a byproduct of this culture that we've been living in for so long where we are so individualistic yeah. um, and we for, forget to look at what other people are going through. And, and we don't think that other people have a right to their own independent lives. We are often saying, well, this person needs to conform to my beliefs and my life outlook without thinking that, that everybody has a different outlook in life. And it's great when we find those people that have the same outlook as us and we can bond together, but we also need to bond together with people who have different outlooks than us. Like human beings are a tribalistic, um, Mm -hmm. 
mammal, right? Like we, we have succeeded in our lives because we have band banded together and had that community support for centuries. And this past, uh, maybe 30 years or something, we've just been growing further and further apart. Like how many people know their neighbors, right? And so we are so individualistic. This is the first time in our society that we haven't had that sense of community and we're lonelier than ever. We're on more antidepressants than ever. More people drink than ever before. Um, and we are so unhappy. Very good. Point. And so talk to people, talk to people that you don't know, like just have a conversation and look at them as a human being a, with different ideas than you. And that's okay. No, that, that's, a, that's an amazing point, actually. What was I about to say was on the same lines is the fact that, uh, I mean, I was about to say something about performing, you know, people want to even perform their identity to meet some standards which were not even set in stone by our people. I don't think, I don't even know where they're coming from. And this has to do, you know, with uh, with sexuality and anything like that. But also the fact that we do not know our neighbors is very true. Like this was a huge surprise to me when I came to the United States. Uh, I mean, Maine is a bit more of a of let's say a bit of a blessed place if I can say it like this since we we tend to interact with our neighbors more is that kind of main mentality but I would hear people that live in New York or in Boston and when you hear them and they say that I I do not know who lives on next to me you know I don't talk to them we, we mind each other's businesses and they they make it sound like it's something admirable that they don't disturb each other but I'm like but it's good to sometimes to know because you can call on someone when you need help or you can just invite someone for over for a cup of coffee and help each other in, in this lonely state, I, th- I think. But about that, I would actually, if it's okay with you guys, I would love to continue this conversation because we got to touch only about the service industry and performing as a whole. But I would love to discuss a bit more about ROC Music City if you have some time next week. Do you think we can do it or? Yeah. That's my yeah. Do you, do you think we can do the same time uh, and let's entertain our listeners with some stories for ROC because I really want to hear about the strategies you guys are bringing in and I don't know the way you're keeping motivation up because I think this is a huge uh, a huge deal with the movements. They lose motivation very easily at the point and I think this, enforcing discipline sometimes can be the way forward. But at the same time, I think the conversation today was very he- useful to tell people why why such a movement is required, you know, because service workers, even if, even if it's the, the assumption, the assumption I also had, I, I knew that they make a lot of money. They should not be complaining. Well, you might be making a lot of, you might be making a lot of money, but at the same time, you might be losing your mental health. You might be falling for vices. You might be losing your personal health. I don't know, a lot of those, just for those money. That is not actually guaranteed since it's a tip wage and it all depends on your performance, which is influenced by all the other aspects. Thank you so much for listening to Left Porch. This was such a lovely episode to make and we are beyond grateful for the people at Rock Music City and specifically to our friends Brenda and Paige. For those of you that do not know, Rock Music City is actually a workers-owned organization. It's like a workers' center that aims at bettering the working conditions and the life conditions of those people that work in the service industry. It was actually born after 9-11 in New York City and afterwards it just started to appear all over the country. Thank you so much, friends, Brenda and Paige, for being here. Thank you so much, those that listen. And thank you so much for those that are actually going to share the podcast 
with the world around us because I think it's so important to talk about labor and this is why this conversation is not gonna stop this week we're gonna continue the next week and the next week and the next week and we have so many conversations to be having with people that work in the service industry so you're actually gonna hear Brenda and Paige a bit more on this podcast so I hope you enjoy the presence I think they're a fantastic duo and we cannot wait to have them back here again hopefully next week if not in the next two weeks because we've actually recorded a bunch of episodes and we have to publish them and we need to decide the order in which they're going to be published. Just a bit of heads up. We have one in neoliberalism. We have one actually happening about childcare. And we have some more personal conversations between Micah and I and some of them that are more focused on news. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you here. Have a good day. Or how we say it in Romanian, la revedere. <laughs>